Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, Pastor Matt here, and we are going to be taking a look at our Easter passage for the year. This is Easter 2020. Happy Easter. Uh, wish I could be with all of you. Um, we've been in First Thessalonians, studying First Thessalonians throughout this time that we've uh, had doing a virtual online church. Uh, but I'm going to veer off of that for this weekend because it is Easter weekend. And I'd like to start with a passage of scripture that uh, is right at that Easter moment, uh, Sunday morning, when they first realize that Christ has risen. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, this is John chapter 20, by the, by the way. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. That other disciple is talking about John, the writer of this gospel always refers to himself as just the one whom Jesus loved. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. A little bit of humorous additional uh, piece of information there, but also something that adds to the reality of this event. Um, These are real things that were happening. And stooping to look in, He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter uh, came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, before I go any further, I'm going to pray, and I would ask that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for what we are celebrating, uh, each in our own homes, but Lord, truly, together, we celebrate this across space and across the generations, not just uh, where I'm at here in my home, but in all the homes across this town and across this nation and across this globe, those who know you celebrate your resurrection. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you can bring us together even when we are apart. I praise you now for all that you've done and ask that you would guide and direct my words from this point forward. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take a look back. There's an interesting phrase there near the end. I'm going to take a look just at verses 8 and 9 again. It says, Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. So it says he saw and believed. Uh, But then it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Uh, Now they will eventually, they will get this, but... In fact, I would say that the next several appearances of Jesus are specifically about making sure that these disciples understand 
what they don't understand yet. And they've been following him, but they were not getting, why, why did he die? Why did it have to happen? And I love that it says in that, that in this passage. It says right there, it says, he must rise from the dead. That's an important element that's been added into this. And I hope that you can grab a hold of that, that this is something that must happen. We're going to dig in here a little bit. There's an idea there that I think is important. So let's take a look. In fact, um, one of the next appearances that Jesus makes um, after these first few appearances in his resurrected form comes in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, verses start. I'm going to start with verse 25, but let me give you some context before this. There are two unnamed disciples. We don't know which two they were walking along the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with them, but they don't recognize him at first. Something miraculous, I think, was going on. Jesus is keeping his identity from them. But I, like I said, I'm going to skip down to verse 25. It says this, um, <clears throat> as they're expressing confusion over why Jesus was crucified and what it meant that he rose, he finally speaks up after listening to them. And he says this, if you can read it right here. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So carefully. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted uh, to them uh, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amazing little phrasing here. that As he goes back through all the scriptures, they're referring to him. So if one were to say um, that they wanted to know why Jesus had to die and be resurrected, which is a question I've asked myself sometimes. I thought, well, why must it be that way? That's, that's what that phrase said earlier. Must. He must die. He must die. He must be re, uh, raised from the dead. Why did it have to happen that way? Uh, that's a complicated question, it seems, because it's it's less about one particular thing. or go, I mean, there's definitely clear things that we can go to and we say, yeah, it's about this, it's about this, it's about this. There's some clear solid pieces but to get a true understanding of it it's so much bigger than that and jesus dis he just displays that here because he went back to beginning with moses and all the prophets in other words the entire old testament interpreted those things and what they had to do with himself one of my favorite infographics i've ever seen and i'm going to put this up here for you notice you see right up here you see all those arches on the far side over there uh that's the old testament and on the closer side, and the part that's just behind my head, that's the New Testament. And every single one of those arches is a connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, if you're looking at that going, that's not very clear. I can't quite see that. Um, I'd be more than happy to make a copy of this um, or tell you where I got it from and send you uh, this image. Because it's a, there's a nice high-resolution image of this that connects all those Old Testament things to all the, the New Testament things. But think about it for a minute. Why is it just about some Old Testament prophecies that he fulfilled? I don't think so. It's much bigger. It's not just because it said this must happen in this way. He fulfills those things, not just in deeds, but in his character, who he is. He's, he's the more magnificent King David. He's the uh, prophet like Moses. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There's so much connection between what was and what he did he fulfilled and we'll see he even fulfilled all of the law he did it perfectly he was perfectly obedient now 
let me go back to what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> this is why after Christ, see, everything before him is pointing, right, to him. This is why after Christ, in the time that we're in now, everything is pointing back to where he was. We look back to the cross. They were all looking forward to what would be. We're all looking back to what he did. Let me finish up here. Verses uh, 44, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's actually telling this to them while he's sitting down. He's actually having fish with them at this time. They're back in Jerusalem. They're in this room. He shows up. He's eating with them, and he's explaining these things to them. But he says, these are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, every part of the Old Testament is pointing forward to him. Then he opened their minds. It says next, verse 45, they opened their minds and uh, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. It's not that there's one specific verse that says this. It's that the whole testament is pointing forward to that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then he says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. So now that this has happened, it's been fulfilled. He's been proclaimed uh, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So now we're starting something new. He's telling them everything was leading up to this, but now that this has happened, everything is going to Point back to what Christ did. We're going to go and proclaim, look what he did. Look what he did. Okay? And that's precisely what happens after this. We see Peter and John and Paul and their successors all the way to today preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. And what is the resurrection for these good news preachers? I'm going to tell you what Easter was for them. It was validation. Paul says that if Jesus had not been raised, then... They were preaching Christ in vain. It would have been empty preaching. Well, what does this mean for you? That's the question you really have to ask, isn't it? I mean, not just, um, okay, I think I get this, but we're going to shift gears here because now I have to say this question. What does this mean for you? If, if all things back there in the Old Testament pointed forward like the infographic, right? Pointed forward to Christ and he fulfilled all those things. And if it's true that now we're going, we're, we're looking back, and we're saying, okay, now everything relates back to what Christ did on the cross. What does that actually mean for you? And there's some very clear elements of that story that pertain to you. And I would like to give you three. There's three categories or three types of people that I want to focus in on when I answer the question, what does this mean for you? Because, I mean, I could go on and on and on. You saw all those little arcs, right? I mean, there's so many elements. But I, I want to hit three for three people, three types of people that I believe could be watching this video right now. Okay, let's start with the first one. First, um, I toyed around with different things, different ways to describe this first person. Uh, did I want to go with the non-believer? Um, this is the seeker. This is the person that might be watching this right now that's going, 
I don't know. I don't know about this. So, but you're you're watching it, aren't you? You're watching it. So you're you're a seeker. Uh, this is for the ones that that come to church occasionally. They're, they're not. They haven't bought into this whole thing, but they're they're considering. They're looking at it. And I know that there's some that might be doing that. In fact, I encouraged my Edgewood people to invite somebody to church for Easter because I said this would be the easiest time, right, in the world for somebody to visit church for the first time. You don't even have to get out of bed. So if you're at home and you're watching this in bed, bravo, right? Uh, you, you're, you're having church. You're experiencing a little element of church, uh, Edgewood style. And th- this was a great, easy way to experience just a bit. We'd love to see you in person once we're allowed to do that. But for the non-believer or the seeker, someone that's, that's not full in, maybe non-believer sets you off, but you're, you're just not full in, okay? I would like to, and so there's, remember, three things, three things I would like to do. Uh, for the non-believer, I would like to inform you. I'd like to inform you of something. I'm going to start with a word, okay? So I'm going to go through these quickly. Um, once I get rolling here, I'm going to go through these quickly because I don't want to take a long, long, long time. Uh, but for the non-believer, non-Christian, I'm going to inform you, and I'm going to start with a word, and the word is going to be propitiation. Okay, can you say that? Propitiation. Very good, very good. Uh, so propitiation, propitiation is about satisfaction. It's about somebody being satisfied, specifically uh, in terms of like when we're talking about Christianity, that there's this justice that God rightly holds out, holds up. There's justice righteousness that god is a just righteous god and that justice needs to be satisfied when crime is committed okay or in our case we talk about we call it sin now the word sin in the old testament and in the new testament the word that's translated sin simply means to miss the bullseye okay who has not missed the bullseye and that's what sin is who has not done that there's we all have we all have this is why paul says in romans all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. Now, I don't have this in my notes here to share with you, but I am going to throw this in because this came to me earlier. There are two elements that drastically increase the response or the consequence to a crime. Let's say um, I there's let's say there's some jerk walking down the street, a real big jerk. Okay. I and I go up to him, punch him in the face, right? Well, okay, I could pay. I might have to pay a penalty for that, but <clears throat> if the guy deserved it, at least by some standards, some people might let it go, right? Depending on what he what he had done or how bad he was. But let's say I walked up to an innocent guy just walking down the road, boom, punch him, and I easily get arrested. Something could happen from that. Uh, so, so the innocence is is increasing. How? In fact, just to show you, just to show you that. This is true. Let's increase the innocence level. Let's say there's a baby. Now, I'm not even going to say it out loud because some of you are going to freak out. Let's say let's say I did it. You say my walks up, punch a baby. Oh, can't do that. Well, suddenly the, 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 the thought of what needs to happen, the justice that's required there has, has escalated. There's something else. Innocence does that. Something else does that is um, uh, importance or 
or grandness, excellence of something. Um, let's say uh, I'm living in the Middle Ages and I'm a poor beggar and I punch another poor beggar. Yeah, Most people probably let it go. Say I just push him, you know, and he might push me back. Say I, I push somebody else, a little bit more important to me. I might get a little bit more than that. I might get knocked down. So I say, who are you to do that? But let's say I walk up to the king of the land and I push him. And I didn't live in the Middle Ages, but I can imagine that the consequence for pushing the king is magnified way bigger than the consequence for pushing another poor beggar. So the importance of the person and the innocence of the person can magnify the consequence for the crime, which means since all have sinned against God, who is supremely righteous, uh, holy, pure, and also supremely magnificent in his glory, crime against him makes sense that the penalty or the wages, as Paul put it, the wages of sin is death. But this is where propitiation comes in. First John 4.10 says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that, can you see what it says there? Not that we have loved God, right? But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the, the satisfaction of his justice for our sins. That's what Christ is on the cross. That's what he did, the penalty that he paid. Paul says elsewhere, by grace are you saved. This is how the enactment of this propitiation is made possible through scripture, that we believe in it and we trust in it. That's what it says over and over again. So for you that are on the edge, the non-believer, I encourage you to examine closely, look intently, uh, study it, uh, dig deep. One of the things I hope that you will find as you get informed in the gospel is that God's grace is for you. He is, it says in another place in 1 John, he is the propitiation. Do you see it? There it is again. Propitiation for our sins, all us Christians, right, who really aren't any different than anybody else. He's a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you've done or are doing, there is nothing that is beyond the satisfaction that Christ has paid for sin. He is a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only. The whole world, every people, type, every, uh, every, every, everybody, everybody. Now, let me shift gears. <clears throat> let me look at now for the new believer, uh, the new Christian, someone that's recently, uh, semi-recently, a uh, follower of Jesus Christ. And I, I say the the new believer. And for those, I would like to inspire you. 
Now, I'm going to say inspire because I'm going to tell you right now, there's there's an aspect of this new believer or new Christian that I would put in uh, lowercase c for Christian or lowercase b for believer. I didn't put it on the, the screen here, but um, uh, it, it's, it's untested. It's untested. You see, there are many who say, I believe and don't. Um, Jesus himself says this, not all who call Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, but right. Those who do the will of my father who is in heaven. That can be confusing for some. They go, well, wait a minute. I thought it was through faith, not by what you do. It's Christ is the propitiation. Not our, we can't actually pay the penalty ourselves. But here's the thing. True belief will always demonstrate itself in true action. What you believe, you follow. Uh, James, Jesus' earthly brother, uh, who was not a believer until after the resurrection, he put it this way. In James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, uh, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So a faith that doesn't do things, faith that doesn't work, can that faith, and it's a rhetorical question, the answer is no, it can't. There's a faith that doesn't have works, it's not faith, that's not saving faith. Um, this is why Paul and others often emphasize and say, they often, often emphasize that you say with your mouth, but you also believe in your heart, right, that Christ is your Savior. But then they go on over and over again to say, but then you do, you live, you act. Paul will often say, and put it this way, that he preaches Christ crucified. The cross becomes the emblem of life here. This is why I have opted for the inspire element, for the new believer to inspire you. Because uh, I, I think there's many who, in the Old Testament, they're, they're looking forward to Christ. We're looking back to Christ. But that is... That, that, that picture of the cross is the emblem of what our life is here. His heroic, loving act is what drives us. So we look back to Christ and ask yourself, what's that actually mean? Suffering? Yeah. For the sake of love, the life, the exaltation comes after the cross. Another passage that paints this beautifully is in 1 Peter. Peter, the other guy who went in and looked into the tomb and saw the empty tomb, he puts it this way in 1 Peter, um, let's see here, chapter 2, verse 21, says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example it's interesting, isn't it, already? For to this you have... You know what this is? If you go back and read earlier, he's talking about suffering. For this, to this, the suffering you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you might do what? Follow. In his steps. Hmm. Bit of a different 
picture of what you might think Christianity is all about. He went to the cross, but then he says, come follow. Now, unless you go, "Ah, yeah, but what about so-and-so? Look what they did to me. And what about, well, let's think about him. Let's keep thinking about him. Inspired by him, he says this, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, you see that right there? When he suffered, he did not threaten. Can you do that? You can when you're inspired by the life of Christ, the love that he he went the distance for you. And he says, okay, see how I did it? That's how I want you to do it. You see how that? That's how I want you to do it. Come follow me. Follow my example. Follow my example. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So he entrusts the end outcome to God. He himself, it says next, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, that we might, why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you see it right there? By his wounds, you have been healed. That's a call back to Isaiah talking about this. Isaiah was looking forward. Oh yeah, this is what what's coming. We're looking back. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. There's that propitiation that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So informed us that we're the propitiation has happened, but we're inspired to now live the way he did. Not to try to earn something, but just because he is our hero. By his wounds, you have been healed. There's a propitiation for you were uh, straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you're informed about this this propitiation, but you're also inspired to follow your Savior. As a new Christian, I want to inspire you to live like Jesus lived. This is essential because there are a lot of new, quote, believers. And they get so disappointed in Christ because they have built him up incorrectly, to be the genie in the bottle. They started following Jesus, they thought, but Jesus isn't giving them what they want. I'm going to say to you plainly, if you are believing in the Jesus of the Bible, you're not asking for health, wealth, or prosperity. You will ask for a cross if you're following the Jesus of the Bible. A passage that ties us together is 1 John chapter 2. It says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. What commandments? Love. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for those. Or like he said, Take up your cross. Follow after me. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, what does it say there? The love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk 
in the same way in which he walked. So you, as a Christian, a new Christian, old Christian, doesn't matter. You believe in Jesus. You ought to walk the way he did. How did he walk? To the cross. <sighs> true saying is true doing, I think is what John is telling us. True saying it is going to be true doing it. How did he walk? For others in love and to the cross. Finally, to the veteran Christians. You've suffered. I know some of you have. Genuine, real suffering. Um, you're okay with that. You've lost things. Experience losing loss. You're okay. You've experienced death. You're okay with that. To a degree. It's because you're following Christ as your example. And there are some of you out there that could be watching this right now. You're not the the brand new believer that's that's gotten disillusioned by thinking that Jesus is just going to make your life simple. You know that's not true. You're not the, the seeker who's just going, I don't know about this. No. You are a genuine follower of Jesus. You've been following him for years. But frankly, you've forgotten. So <clears throat> for you, veteran believer, I would like to ignite you. Give my wife credit for this last letter I. Um, give her credit for all three of them, but definitely this one. This one went right in line with um, where I was headed. There is a whole generation of non-believers and new believers that need to be informed and inspired. And it happens best when the cross of Christ is preached, not just in word, but in power. I'm going to go into more detail with this next week when I, re when I return to 1 Thessalonians. But let me just give you a, a little teaser about what's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says this. Uh, it's Paul speaking to the Thessalonian church. He says, our gospel, our preaching of good news. What's the good news? Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, right? Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also, what does it say here? But also uh, in, I think I see three things there, right? Power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You see that? Power, Holy Spirit, full conviction. You know, he says, now Now think about what's going on here. These three things, not word, but these three, power, Holy Spirit, full conviction. What did that look like? He says it next. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You hear what Paul's saying here? The, the, the coming, not just in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction those came through example, at least in some fashion. It was example of Paul and Silas. Interesting side note. Paul and Silas had just come from uh, the city of Philippi and had been 
illegally, wrongfully imprisoned in Philippi. And now they're, they, they came to Thessalonica after this. The understanding, suffering, wrongful suffering. What these Thessalonians do? It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So, so of, of Paul, Silas, uh, but also of the Lord. And, and those things are just together. It's not pride that Paul says things like this. He's fallen after Jesus, and he wants to be an example of what Jesus is like. What does that way of the cross look like? You became Im imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I love those two things there as well together. Joy and affliction bound together, I, I think, perfectly displays the Jesus that we, we live for and we follow. Now, <clears throat> there's another passage of Scripture that paints this out really well. Hebrews chapter 12. You can look at it here. Therefore, this is the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is talking about way back, those those uh, um, way, way back in the Old Testament, those prophets and the, the psalmists and, and Moses and King David, and uh, the, you know, there are all those witnesses witnessing to what Christ was going to do. The, the apostles are pointing back. So this huge cloud of witnesses, okay? Um, what does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with see it right there endurance endurance let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so ignite you right you veteran believers keep at it right how look into jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who and here here's that remember that joy affliction right remember that who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. There is a heaven coming, but life is the cross here and now. And like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What ought we to do? Consider him. Consider him. Think about him. Think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Maybe you were keeping at it at the beginning, but you, you kinda, you're ready to kind of retire now. Let some sins go. The writer, writer of Hebrews says that wants you to go, grow weary or faint-hearted. And he ends with this. He says, in your struggle against sin. Do you see it right there? In your struggle Against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. How far do we want to go as far as Jesus went to the cross? He's our hero. He's the one that we want to follow. To all three, a non-believer who I hope has been informed that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient to be a propitiation for your sin, for the new believer who needs to be uh, inspired to live that same cross. And to the veteran believer who needs to be ignited to go and continue to both inform and inspire.
I read to all three a final passage from Paul. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I used to get confused by that. What it means is he was God. But when he was here, he didn't make that the point. What did he do? He emptied himself. Do you see it right there? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How far? Veterans. Veteran Christians. To the point of death. Even death on a cross. Horrible, horrific death. Therefore God has highly exalted him. See, the glory comes after. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for this Easter, another Easter. I thank you for your resurrection that validated all that you taught and said and did, and especially that it validated your death on the cross, that it was a true, fulfilled propitiation for sin. I pray that you would help those who need to believe, that they would believe. I pray that you'd be with those who have begun to believe. Maybe they are there. Lord, I pray that they would be inspired to live the cross, to display the cross. I pray for those veteran believers. Help them not to grow weary or faint-hearted. Help them to see the next generation coming up, that they need to be both informed and inspired. I pray that the veteran believers of this world would not grow weary or faint-hearted, but would live the cross all the way to the end. I pray all these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this Easter. I pray that uh, God will continue to bless you in all that you do. And I hope that uh, we'll get to be together again very, very soon. Thank you.